stories of the Bible revisited. So you'll know these stories. It's my intention to return to some of the classic Bible stories that you learned as a child, such as Jonah and the Great Fish, Daniel and the Lion's Den, Moses and the Red Sea, Noah and the Flood, Daniel and the Lion's Den, the Fiery Furnace, Cain and Abel, Joseph and his coat of many colors, just to name a few. Well, I ask you to go ahead as an adult, you can't do this, okay? This is just for the children. Children, if you will fill this out and turn it in to me at the end of the service, we're going to pick one each week to receive a prize. So next week, we will be giving out the prize for the one selected. So if you want to be in the running for that, just turn in your children's bulletin at the end of the service. Now, take your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah, chapter number 1. Close to the end of your Old Testament, Jonah, chapter number 1. We're going to pick up kind of in the middle of the story, so I'm going to give you a little background. Now, in tonight's story, God has told Jonah... I want you to go to Nineveh and to preach. And Jonah has said, no, I'm not going to go. And he got on a ship, and he headed off in the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. As a result, he lost his purpose, he lost his joy, and he found himself in the middle of a storm. Now, this was no ordinary storm, but one so severe that the ship was about to sink. The sailors have been discussing the problem. They've been discussing the storm, and they have concluded that it is not at all like the other storms that they have experienced. They've been able to handle all the other storms in life, but this one they, have, they are not able to handle. And they have concluded that someone among them has something has done something terribly wrong. So they decide to cast lots to discover who's at fault. The lot falls on Jonah. So they go to Jonah and they ask him what he has done. He tells them his story. When they found out that Jonah was a Hebrew... And they had heard of his God, Jehovah. They asked what they would have to do to appease this great God. Jonah could have responded in a number of ways. Jonah could have said, well, it's obvious what we have to do. God wants me to go to Nineveh, so we're not going to be safe until I go. We need to turn this ship around and let's go back. And then the storm will stop. But Jonah is so determined in his rebellion against God that he says, just throw me in the ocean. Now that's pretty determined. Now the sailors, to their credit, did everything in their power to keep from throwing Jonah in the sea as he had asked. But finally, down around verse 14 of chapter 1, They give in to the idea that he be thrown into the sea. 
They cast him into the sea, and the storm immediately ceases. The sailors were convinced that they were throwing Jonah to his death, and Jonah had no reason to believe anything else either. In verse 17 is where we pick up our story. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord, L-O-R-D, always when it's in all caps in the Old Testament, what does it mean? It's Jehovah. It means Jehovah. Now Jehovah has prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now the fish was a miracle of God's grace. Jonah expected to die. He knew that the wages of sin, of disobedience, meant death. And when he is cast into this raging sea, that's what he expects. He deserves it. The justice of God demands it. And then the great fish gulped him down and he finds himself alive inside the fish. Now let me just give you a word about the fish. It just says a great fish. I'm not sure what kind of fish it was. It could have been a dogfish. That's one of the shark family. It might have been jaws. I don't know. The critics can't quite, if you'll pardon the pun, swallow the story of Jonah because they say it couldn't happen. But it could happen. An average sperm whale, for example, has a mouth 20 feet long, 15 feet high, 9 feet wide. Now let me tell you, that's one big animal. In fact, it's about the biggest mammal on the planet. That explains how the fish or a whale could swallow a person. The sperm whale feeds largely on squid. Those squid are often larger than a human. Whalers have sometimes found an entire squid in the stomach of a dead whale. Now, as to whether a man could survive in a whale's stomach, he certainly could although the circumstances would not be very comfortable. There would be air to breathe of a sort because it's needed to keep the animal afloat. But there would be great heat, about 104 to 108 degrees Fahrenheit. And there would be that unpleasant contact with the animal's gastric juices which obviously would affect your skin somewhat. There was actually a case of a man who purported to have been swallowed by a whale and lived. It happened on the, on the ship in, called the Star of the East. In February 1891, this whaling ship spotted a large sperm whale in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands. Two two boats were launched and shortly thereafter a harpooner speared the whale. The second boat attempted to get in another harpoon but the boat was overturned in the process 
And one man was drowned. Another man, whose name was James Bartlett, disappeared and was assumed to have been drowned. In time, <clears throat> the whale was killed and drawn to the side of the ship where it was tied fast, and they began to remove the blubber. The following day, the stomach was hoisted onto the deck. That's where James Bartless was. He was in the whale's stomach, unconscious but alive. He recovered and returned to his job, whaling. I think I would have changed occupations thereafter. But regardless of what kind of great fish God chose to use to rescue Jonah, it was a miracle. And if you can't accept the miracle of Jonah and the great fish, then there are a lot of other miracles in the Bible that are going to give you trouble. If you have trouble with Jonah, you're probably going to have trouble accepting that the Red Sea was opened for Moses and the Israelites and that the manna, that the Israelites were given manna in the wilderness, that they were guided by fire by night and cloud by day, that they received water from a rock, that the Jordan River was parted for Joshua, or that the walls of Jericho fell down. But perhaps the greatest reason to believe that the story of Jonah is true is because Jesus accepted it as true and quoted from it in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 38 through 41. Now tonight, as we examine Jonah and the great fish, I want us to see three principles. First of all, sometimes a crisis experience is exactly what we need to get us to pray. Notice, first of all, when he prayed. It says, then. You ought to underline that word in your, in your Bible. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. I like what Abraham Lincoln once said. Abraham Lincoln said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. I understand what he means. In his book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, Charles Swindoll recounts the story of an airliner in 1968 that was bound for New York. It began its descent, and the pilot suddenly realized that the landing gear was refusing to engage. He worked the controls back and forth, trying again and again to make the gears locked down into place, with, but with no success. He then asked the control tower for instructions as he circled the landing field. Responding to the crisis, the airport personnel sprayed the runway with foam as fire trucks and other emergency vehicles moved into position. Disaster, it seems, was only minutes away. The passengers, meanwhile, were told of each maneuver and that calm, cheery voice that pilots managed to use even in times of great stress. Flight attendants glided through the cabin with an air of cool reserve, telling passengers to just place their heads between their knees and grab their ankles just before impact. 
It was one of those, I can't believe this is happening to me experiences that led to many tears and even a few screams of despair in the cabin. The landing was only a few seconds away when suddenly the pilot announced over the intercom, we are beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with the international aviation codes established in Geneva, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, that you should commence praying. Sound advice, don't you think? Jonah was in a position in which he was totally exhausted, at the end of his rope, nowhere else to turn, but it was only then that he cried out for God's help. At first, Jonah probably thought he was going to die. But after a few moments and maybe even a number of hours, he said, you know, wait a minute, I think I just might survive. There's enough air to breathe. The heat isn't as intolerable as I thought it was at first. I'm going to make it. This fish isn't a sign of my destruction, but the means of my deliverance. And so I thank you, Lord. R.T. Kendall put it this way. He said, the belly of a fish is not a happy place to live, but it's a good place to learn. And Jonah had a lot to learn. For three days in that smelly, dark fish's belly, he had time to ponder his situation. I suspect he did a lot of soul searching. And he eventually saw the foolishness of his sin, and he saw his need for God. And then he prayed the prayer that takes up most of the second chapter of Jonah. When Jonah had turned his back on God, it didn't bother him to be separated from God. But suddenly, when Jonah was thrown overboard, as he, as he faced death... He found that it bothered him tremendously that he was separated from God. The most terrifying aspect of Jonah's plight was he realized that God had almost given him what he wanted, to be free of his presence. Jonah wanted to run from God, and now the implications of that separation bring him to repentance. J. Vernon McGee tells the story of a young man who was like Jonah, running from the call of God. His parents <clears throat> had made him attend a revival meeting at his home church, which he did for two nights in succession. But if he, knew, he knew that if he went one more time, he was going to have to give in and accept Jesus as his Savior. He might also have to give his life to enter the ministry. So the night after he went to bed, he got an extra shirt and his pajamas, and he ran off to Mississippi, and there he got a job in the sawmill. One afternoon, after he had worked there for about two weeks, he got his index finger caught between two logs. He felt himself being pulled along the carriage, Toward the big bandsaw. <clears throat> he began to yell at the top of his voice, but by that time, the other end of the log had hit the saw and it was already going through, and nobody could hear him. 
He was yelling at the top of his voice, very frightened as he found himself being pulled against his will toward the saw. It would only take 45 seconds for him to get to the saw. In that 45 seconds, he prayed to the Lord. He accepted Christ as his Savior. He promised the Lord he would go into the ministry and do his will, and he told him a lot of things, other things as well. McGee said, my preacher friend used to say that after he got loose from that situation that he told the Lord more in that 45 seconds than he ever told him in any hour's prayer since then. I believe that Jonah's prayer on the way down was like that. Notice also to whom he prays. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord. And then notice that very important little word. His God. As disobedient as Jonah was in his rebellion, as much as he had gone in the opposite direction of God's will for his life, he still realized that God was his God. He was like David when he said in Psalm 23, The Lord, he is my shepherd. Everything he says is based on the calm assurance that the Lord was his personal shepherd. Jonah could still pray to his God, and so he did. Sometimes a crisis experience is exactly what we need to get us to pray. Secondly, God can hear our prayers from anywhere. It says in verse 2, And I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. The words cry out mean, in this case, to utter a loud sound. There are other possible definitions according to Strong's Concordance. I would simply ask this. If you found yourself alive in a whale's belly and knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had put you there, what would you say? Would you say, Psst, God, I could use a little help here? I suspect not. Rather, you would, talk, you would shout at the top of your voice, Help me, Lord. God, you've got to help me. Jonah's prayer, recorded in chapter 2, is, has much to teach us about prayer. Some commentators seem to think that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days before he began to pray. My personal thought is that before he cleared the whale's tonsils, he began to pray. I don't know if a whale has tonsils, by the way. But on his way down, I suspect he was already in prayer. Jonah is in a very secluded spot, and I think we can safely say that now God has Jonah's undivided attention. But what do you pray when you don't know what to pray? You may or may not realize it, but when Jonah prayed back, he was praying back the word of God. There is probably not one original thought or request in Jonah's prayer. Jonah is praying the book of Psalms. Eight times in the following verses, he quotes from the book of Psalms. Jonah is standing on the promises of God and praying through Scripture. And we can do the same. 
When you are lonely, you can pray, Lord, you said in your word that you would never leave me nor forsake me. When we're afraid, we can pray, Lord, you have assured me that I need never be afraid. When we are in need, we can pray, Lord, you said that you would meet all my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. When we need forgiveness, we can pray, Lord, you said that you, if I would confess my sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. So like Jonah, whatever our need, God has a promise that we can claim. Now Jonah's great prayer can be divided into three parts. First of all, thanksgiving. Verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And, and then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I went down into the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. Thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? What does Jonah possibly have to be thankful for? He's been swallowed by a great fish, and he's somewhere in the great deep, awaiting, as far as he knows, his ultimate death. What does he have to be thankful for? Jonah was not thankful that God had delivered him from the fish because God had not yet delivered him. He was not thankful that God was going to deliver him because he had no idea that God was going to. What he was thankful for was that God had turned him from his rebellion and sin and caused him to call on the name of the Lord once again. He was thankful for salvation. He was thankful for the abiding grace of God. Secondly, there is contrition. It says in verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you and your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. This is a step beyond just being honest about your sin. It's possible to be honest about your sin, even acknowledge that, just, that God is just in what is happened to you and still be unrepentant about it. We know that Jonah's confession was true because although he acknowledges what had happened to him had been caused by God, it was his own fault. And secondly, because Jonah did not ask for anything for himself. And finally, in verse 9, rededication. Verse 9 says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. God can hear our prayers from anywhere. Third and finally, there is a cost to disobedience in the life of a believer. And so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's a sidelight here, and that is that no matter how far you get from God, there's 
always a way back. But, I hate those buts, but the way back may not be a beautiful experience. I don't think you can even envision what Jonah looked like when that whale coughed him up on the beach. He has spent three days in the gastric juices of a whale. He probably made a leper look good. Jonah left on a ship bound for Tarshish, but he didn't return in the same way. He spent three days and three nights there in that digestive system, the great fish, only to be vomited up on the seashore. We must never delude ourselves into thinking that we can walk away from God without any cost. There is hope in knowing that no matter how we mess up, no matter how far we get from, the God, from God, there's always a way back. But I believe that Jonah was a changed man after his experience in the deep because his disobedience cost him tremendously. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for Jonah's story. We do believe it to be true, the truth of your word. Told by us, you're by our Lord. It is a story worth remembering. There are a lot of lessons for us in Jonah's story, specifically in the cost of disobedience and about our need for prayer and that you are constantly open to receive us. That no matter how far we go or no matter where we go, there's always a way back. There's always a way home, but that doesn't mean that, that it's without cost, that disobedience takes us away from your presence and takes us into a world of hurt. You don't take us away from those things to keep us from enjoying life, but rather you keep us away from those things to keep us from destroying our lives. Father, help us to understand and help us, Lord, to grow from these great stories in your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, brother? Dan's going to be here perhaps tonight. God's spoken to you in some way. We want to give you an opportunity to respond.